can imagine what it would have been like to be Mary. Adolescent child, well, young girl. Scholars believe that she's probably in the beginning of middle, well, late, early adolescence, into middle adolescence, probably could be, and really it wouldn't be diagnosed with middle adolescence, it's still early, somewhere around 12 or 13 for the girl. Ladies, we men can't understand this as much as we would like to try to understand it. But ladies, can you all imagine having a baby at 13, 12, 13, maybe 14? And especially in that society, in the whole understanding of betrothal, we talked about that a few weeks ago when we talked about Joseph. And how important that year time of betrothal was, that you were, as we would look at it today, legally married, but that marriage never came, was never consummated, never came together in that one year. And yet now she's with child. And God told Joseph what was going on, but you think of the rest of the world around her. Mary would have been shunned. She would have been looked down upon. And yet, Mary knew that she was carrying the one and only Son of God. And so, folks, when you... That's what I want you to help me do this morning. I want us to do more than jump in to the shoes of Mary. I want us to jump into the heart of that young girl. And I want us to understand what the Scripture says in in the traditional Christmas story in Luke. And what... It means, or it meant, should we say, for Mary to do those three things I've said in this series. Come, see, and believe. Okay, wonderful. That's great. But what's it mean for me and you? You know, I said something a few minutes ago. We must do the same thing. Obviously, I'm not talking about being 13, getting pregnant, and doing that part. But what... what? does it mean to do the same thing as Mary? What can Mary teach me and you today about what it means to come, see, and believe? You see, if God is going to be able to change lives in you and me, then we are going to have to learn these three words. And then we're going to have to emulate those words in our Lives. Mary was poor. She was ordinary. Nothing flashy about her. And now Gabriel the angel, angel in the Greek is the word angelos. We translate the word as messenger. So the messenger of God, Gabriel, had spoken directly to her in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. But let me share something with this. If you go back and look at first century history, The folks believed in angels without a doubt, but they believed that angels spoke directly to a male, not directly to a female. So you see now the announcement to Mary about Mary being the birth mother of Jesus was even more important than maybe what you 
Of course, it's important no matter what. The Greek uses that term we've already used in this series, parthenos. The Hebrew equivalent to the word is the word alma, A-L-M-A-H. We translate both of them as virgin. In the Bible, not only in Isaiah, the 8th century prophet, used that Hebrew word alma, the virgin. And again, if you look at the study of the Word of God, wherever the word Parthenos is used in the New Testament, wherever the word Alma is used in the Old Testament, it refers to an, a, a, a girl of marriageable age, as it says. Just in the days of puberty, the beginning, and they've gotten past that part there, they're not in the, sometimes we've changed that over the years. Middle adolescence now runs later in high school up to 1920, and the late adolescence runs from 1920 into 24, 25, 26 years old. Used to, it was much, much earlier. But here's this 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl that is now pregnant with the very Son of God. But the most important thing we need to realize is that the angel of God, God referred to her as the Parthenos, in the Old Testament as the Alma, the virgin who would give birth. Gabriel told Mary that her kinswoman, her cousin, her sister, we don't know the actual relation, but, but Elizabeth, who was old and past, well past childbearing age, was in fact six months present. Remember what the angel said? Nothing is impossible with God. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. So Mary visits Elizabeth, and as Mary enters Elizabeth's house, Mary's baby, that is John, remember, inside her, leaps for joy. And so immediately we come to our very scripture for this morning, and I want you to listen to the words of what she said. I'm in Luke chapter 1, I'm in verse 46, and Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my salvation. My Savior, it says, because He has looked with favor on the humble condition of His slave. Interesting words for a 13-year-old, even then. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. In case I forget to mention that, the word blessed means exactly what it is. Of blessed in terms of what God had done in her life. It never mentions worship. Mary never desired to be worshipped. Only that she would be a blessing. You see the difference? Verse 49, because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. 
Verse 51, He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, namely Mary. He has satisfied the hungry with good things, and He sent the rich away empty. He's helped His servant Israel, mindful of His mercy, just as He spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And then this morning, we're going to jump over to chapter 2, one verse. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, or snuggled him in a cloth, as the Holman Christian Standard said, laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the lodging place or the inn. Three actions, folks, this morning. The same outline I've used now for the past, well, not counting last week, three weeks. Come, see, and believe. So write down that word, come. Let me show you something about Mary and about what happened. She said, my soul proclaims, and this word, the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has what? Rejoiced in God my Savior, because He has looked with favor. There are two things I want you to understand about what it meant for Mary to come, this action word. The first thing is this, Mary's heart's desire was to magnify the Lord. Mary's heart magnified the Lord. How did Mary come to be who she was? The only way someone can see the fact of such a Parthenos is to look into the heart of this incredible, incredible 13-year old lady. And her heart was a heart that magnified the Lord Jesus. Rather than sing her praises, she sings the praises of Yahweh Himself because of what God had done in her life. Do you see her heart? Do you see her humility? She wants to tell that to the world. She wants to explain that to the world. She magnified the megaluo. I love that word in the Greek. It is the word greatness. It is the closest Greek word to our 21st century vernacular. Awesome. We love to use that word. Awesome. Well, there it is in the Greek. Mary magnified the awesomeness of God. You know, that's what an angel does. An angel points someone to God, to Jesus. And Mary, as her understanding of coming, the first thing is that her heart was to magnify Jesus in her life. That when people saw, and she's 13. She came to be who she was because of her heart. How's your heart toward God right now? Are you filled with extreme joy when you contemplate the greatness, the megaluo of God? Or has Satan and his demons stolen your joy? You know, Christmas is not an easy time for a lot of people. 
For this year, it will be the first Christmas without a loved one. There are family troubles that many are facing. Their jobs may be very much are in jeopardy. Things aren't working out as you hoped they would work out. Finances aren't there. Everything you think seems to be falling apart. And there are many ways old Lucifer himself can hit the destruct button when it comes to our joy. How in the world do you counteract those attacks from Satan. How do you come in this case? What Mary do? You know, she was being attacked from others. People were talking about her, whispering, gossip. Can you imagine gossip in the first century? All that was happening. How do you counteract Satan's attacks? What did she do despite it? She praised and magnified the megaluo of God. That's what she did. Rather than turn the attention to herself, she turned the attention to God. If you want to completely, totally come to Christ, then every day of our life, we got to do as Mary did. We have got to magnify Jesus Christ. How did your day yesterday magnify Jesus Christ? Did the word Jesus come out of your mouth? Did the word excitement of what God is doing in your life come out of your mouth? Did you speak to someone about Jesus? Did you magnify the Lord? If we're going to come, the first thing we're going to have to learn from Mary is that you and I, 24-7, are going to have to magnify the Lord Jesus. My prayer, my prayer in my life. I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. But my prayer is that when I leave someone, I don't care where I am, they look back and said, you know, I just saw Jesus. I'm not trying to be super spiritual here or super holier than thou. I'm trying to be what Mary did. And isn't that the way we're supposed to be? Not just at Christmas, but all the year. Mary's heart magnified the Lord. But not only did Mary heart magnify the Lord when you talk about her heart and when you talk about Mary's heart was the heart of a servant. I want to show you something in here that perhaps you may have seen but never looked as deeply into it as what I'm about to show you. I'm in verse 48 of chapter 1 of Luke because he has looked with favor. That word favor in the Greek language is charistao. It comes from the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which we translate as grace. So the word favor means covered with grace. Ah, look at that. Mary was favored, covered with the grace of God in her life. And what happened? Thirteen years old, she uses a word that should come out of a deep-seated child of God at that point, even then. But it came out of a thirteen-year-old, early adolescent child. And the word is slave. The word you've heard me talk about from this pulpit is doulos. And the noun... It's do la. 
which means a bondservant. It doesn't mean a slave to do your ever bidding. It is a bondservant. You are bound to that person. That person, your master, considers you son or daughter. You're not a, a servant. We, we think of servant, and it has the connotation of someone bringing us something, like a serving at a table or a restaurant. No, 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 no. The doulos was a bondservant. It was a bondservant that was bound to his master. And that servant had all the rights of a biological child. And Mary said, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a doula. Whoa. See what that's saying? Then what are we supposed to be? Are we supposed, if we're going to come like Mary did, we're going to have to magnify the Lord with our lives, everything we do. But then we're going to have to make sure people understand and that we understand the first person we serve on this earth as a child of God is going to be the Lord. And we become His slave. Do you know that was there with Mary? And that's just the come part of this thing. Mary said in verse 38, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. You ever wondered why that was the point that the angel left her? She fulfilled exactly what God wanted her to do at that moment. Now, granted, she hadn't given birth to Jesus. But at that moment, she had done exactly what God wanted in that girl. That's why she was chosen to be the birth mother of Jesus. And then that word favor. Rejoice, favor, to be grace-filled. She's to be honored. Mary's heart was to serve God. So now we can see how this 13, 14-year-old girl came to be who she was. She came to Jesus with a godly heart, praising God and serving Him. She truly came by magnifying Jesus and by serving Him as a slave. There's a second part to this message. Not only did she come, write the word see down there. Verses 49 through 55. I'm not going to read these verses again simply for the sake of time. We've already read them. But I want you to look at this. This word see is another action word. It doesn't mean to glance at someone. It doesn't mean to take a quick look. It's the attitude of seeing someone with the intent to do something about it. And I showed that illustration to you all. I can look out to someone here and call you by name. Then I just glanced at you because I know you. But if I wanted to truly see, I would come down these steps, come to you, shake your hand, and sit there and talk to you a minute. In other words, I want to see you with the intent to do something about it. Mary's seeing is what we've just seen about her heart. Her godly, serving, humble heart now leads to her attitude. And the fact of her seeing is bound up in two things with her heart's attitude. 
Mary's attitude was what? In the first place, thanksgiving and praise. Not only did she magnify the Lord, what was the attitude of her heart? When Mary saw Jesus, such an encounter with him led to thanksgiving and praise to God alone. I believe Mary would be the first person as the mother of God to say, don't worship me, don't put me on a pedestal, rather put God on a pedestal, because he's the one who has done it. She's praising God for the mighty things God had done for her. God's holy, agreed? And God makes Mary make sure that those who read these words understand who God is and what God is. So her attitude as she saw, it led to an attitude of praise and thanksgiving. I challenge you today, don't let this day go by without a moment, a time where you praise and thank God for what he did for us by sending his one and only son in the form of a of, of baby to die for every sin that you and I would ever commit. So Mary's attitude was thanksgiving and praise, but also when it comes to seeing, Mary's attitude was something else. Mary's attitude was proclamation. Did you see that in the Scripture? In verses 51 through 55, Mary's desire is to explain to everyone what she has already seen. Now, I want to show you something else about that. In verses 51 through 55, everything she says in the Greek language is in the aorist tense. Aorist is spelled A-O-R-I-S-T. It is much like, though different from, it is much like our past. I came, I saw, I did this, I was, it's past action. And we call it action, that, that action that, it's punctiliar action, action that was happened once and for all. No, in the aorist tense, in the Greek, it's called linear action. Linear action that may be spoken of in the past, but that continues on to this day. That's the wording that Mary says in verses 51 through 55. Let me, i, I got to read those. Listen to this. It says, he has done, he has done a mighty thing. He has toppled the mighty. He has satisfied the hungry. Verse 54. He has helped. Verse 55. Just as he spoke to our ancestors. All of that is in the past. What does that say? That's the faith of Mary. That's the faith of this lady that God would continually do what he said he was going to do. Her attitude was to tell the world. Some of this stuff she's talking about has not even been completed. But Mary talks as though it was done right at that moment. Jesus has not been born yet. But it's about to happen. And she writes everything for the future as though it's already happened right here. That's the Greek aorist tense. It not only happens here, it continues on and on and on and on. Mary's heart, you know, i got to tell somebody. i got to tell somebody. What did Mary have to tell people? She had to tell people that she had been redeemed in verses 46 and 47. 
She had to tell people that she she has been given those gifts, those spiritual gifts. She had been given life in itself. Why? Because of her humility. Because of her being a slave. All of us who are saved by the blood of Jesus will acknowledge the very fact in you and I in our lives that God has done great things for us. That's what He does. That's what He's done. We all have reason to praise the name of the Lord. And now, like Mary, we have seen. And as a result, what do we do? We tell. We proclaim. So, folks, Mary's attitude was proclamation. Mary's attitude was praise and thanksgiving. That happened as a result of her seeing the power of God all over her to be the birth mother. So you see these words, come and see, is not literal words per se in terms of walking somewhere or looking, but it is how they came and how they saw and how in this case it changed Mary's life forever and how she teaches us right now in the 21st century to do the same thing. My third word, believe. And I jump to Luke chapter 2. It's the two verses of the very birth of Jesus. And while they were there, the time of the shepherds, while they were all there, they came. the time came for her to give birth. This is at the close of the story of the shepherds. And, they, and, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in cloth in a swaddling cloth, laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the end. Folk, you know, you can come and you can see. But the bottom line is believe. If you don't believe, the come and see are almost mute points. But Mary's belief, let me show you two things about her belief. Mary's belief was her source of joy. Can you imagine the joy of this lady when she looked into the eyes of Jesus, the Son of God? Holding her. I remember the first time I held Michael James Cheek in my arms at Northside Hospital. It was right there at the bedside beside Connie, and both of us looked at him, and we just, how do you describe that? It was, whoa, baby. And it was just Michael. But you know, to me, that was, and is till this day, that's my boy. I thought nothing could ever be great like that again, and I got a chance to hold my daughter, Bethany, like a peanut, you know. And I, you know, I can, I, as a dad here, I try to imagine, but ladies, you could really get, you can get into this. Because Mary's belief was her source of joy. Now, I'm talking about belief long before she got to the barn. Mary's belief started long before that angel ever came to her, Gabriel, and told her of the the birth of Jesus by the Holy Spirit within her. 
That word belief speaks volumes about Mary. And Gabriel had said to her, the birth of John through Elizabeth, the fulfillment of the prophecy, and she came to the reality. And when she saw, I can, I can only imagine when she's sitting there and those shepherds are gathering around. And she looks at that little baby. Whether you hold an infant, whether you're a biological parent, whether you're a foster parent, it doesn't matter. And looking into the eyes of a child and seeing that new life, that belief in Mary's life was her source of joy. Jesus was born in a barn, a cave, if you call it, in a feeding trough. Why? Shepherds had to find him. But we had to realize that the God of this heaven totally emptied himself from the riches of all of heaven and came in a smelly, dirty, dusty barn to be one of us. There's a word for that. It's called Emmanuel. God is with us. But not only was Mary's belief her source of joy, Mary's belief was her source of love. You see, y'all know this. Jesus Christ, God sent His one and only Son for one reason. Because He loves us. And that's past, present, present, and future. Mary's heart was God. Mary's attitude was praise and thankfulness to Yahweh and love and full of mercy. And Mary's joy was Jesus. Why? All because of love. And until you go to the cross and until you see a baby in a manger in a cross and then get to the empty tomb, you can't understand the meaning of love. The Bible says that the author of love is God Himself. We love each other because He first loved us. Mary's belief was her source of joy. Sometime this Christmas season, stop and say, Lord, I am not worthy of heaven. I deserve death in hell. I don't deserve to even stand in your presence on this earth, but I love you, God. People are afraid to say those words. I challenge you, look up to God in your closet and just simply say to the Lord, Lord, Merry Christmas, I love you. And then if you wonder how to pray, pick up Luke chapter 2 and start reading into the Lord back the Christmas story. You'll excite heaven like you have never seen. Word come, she magnified the megaluo, the greatness of God. And she was his bondservant. She saw. It was shown in the attitude of her heart before she ever got to the manger. She was filled with praise and thanksgiving for what God had done for her. And she made sure she proclaimed that and told everyone. And then in the third place, Mary's belief was her complete source of joy. Don't you let Satan and the demons of hell take your joy away. Because he does a good job at Christmas. For many, it's the most depressing time of the year. Folks, 
Let's be the bearer of the good news of what? Great what? Joy to all those around us. Nicholas's daddy had to work the night that his little six-year-old did their Christmas presentation in the kindergarten class at school. He wanted to be there, but there was no way he could, and he explained that to his son's teacher and asked if he could come that morning to the school's dress rehearsal for the night's program. Other parents had the same problem, and they came as well. And the teacher was pleased, and now everything was set for Nicholas, the six-year-old, to come and sit and be a part of the presentation, and Daddy could be right there in the front row. It had been an exciting season for this little six-year-old. For weeks, he had been memorizing Christmas songs for the schools, as they called it, winter pageant. And now it's the morning of the dress rehearsal, and the dad got there early and went to his assigned seat. They had his name on it in the front row. And all of a sudden, the kids came in, and they sat down Indian-style on the floor, and then each group, one by one, did their presentation. Well, because the public school system had long stopped referring to the holiday as Christmas, this dad didn't expect anything other than some fun and commercial entertainment, Santa Claus, snowflakes, and good cheer. And it was now time for little Nicholas's group to sing. And dad was really surprised when he saw that the title of their song was Christmas Love. Well, that little Nicholas was all aglow. It was everybody in his class. They were adorned in their fuzzy mittens. You've seen it. Red sweaters and their snow caps upon their heads. And there he was in the front row. But the, the front row of the kids, they all held up large letters one by one that would spell out the, the, the title of the song, like C is for Christmas, a child would hold up C, H is for happy, and they would hold up H, and so on, until Christmas love was right across the stage and held up. And he thought that was so neat. Well, the performance was going quite well, until suddenly a little girl in the front row of the class had the letter M. And she turned the letter M upside down. And she was unaware that she was holding M, and it looked like a W. So it should say C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, love. But the M was about to be switched. Well, they, they put all these up, and then at the end of the presentation, each one held up their letter so that everybody could see it, no matter what. Well, the audience out there and some of his, the classmates snickered at this little girl's mistake. But she, and they had no idea, they, she had no idea they were laughing at her, and she stood tall, this little one, holding up her W instead of an M. And although many of the teachers down there tried to get the kids to be quiet, the laughter continued and the letter was raised. And there it came, first the C, then the H, then the R, then the S, 
and then the T. And proudly that little girl held up, not an M, but a W. An A, S, and so on. L-O-V-E. There was a hush in that school. Because what had been spelled in the front, Christ was love. Folks, we're going to have to do like Mary. We're going to have to come, hold up the name of Christ. We're going to have to see was. Remember the aorist tense? The past, but continues? Was. Continues that way. You remember what happened on the C, the third part, the C of that? Love. And as a result, that's what Mary teaches us today. We've got to go out of here and proclaim Christ. Yesterday, today, and forever, that he is the answer to love. A little baby in the manger, just like Nicholas, Christ was love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the meaning of the manger. But Lord, we realize that it is from the manger to the cross and the empty tomb that One can't be without the other. And even at that manger, Father, to wrap you then, even as a little baby wrapping you, and the same in those cloths as you were wrapped in the robe when you put in your tomb. Father, you came to save sinners. You gave your life so that we could have life. And I pray this morning that if there are those in this room or those listening to this presentation, they've never made a public profession of their faith in you, that today they would just simply realize, hey, I'm a sinner, Lord. I'm in need of the Savior of the world, that Christ was love. And I ask you right now to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. The Bible says if you will confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And the Bible said something else. You just set off a party in heaven. But maybe this morning too, you know you're a child of God. We all do. But you know, we haven't done well at what it means to come like Mary taught us and what it means to see and what it means to believe. Well, Lord, I just pray that today would be a day of recommitment, either from our seat or right down here at this altar. Whatever needs to happen, Lord Jesus, the most important thing is your will be done. That is my prayer in the very name of Jesus. Amen.